So depending on the circles that you run in online, you've probably heard a little bit about Web3 and the metaverse. Some say it will change how we do things forever. Other people say it's all hype and no substance. Whichever way you look at it, a lot of attention, money and brain power has gone into the role of blockchain in our futures. So how does that relate to healthcare? Well, with me today on the show, I'm joined by Dr. Jane Thomason, formerly a CEO of a multi-million dollar teaching hospital and a thought leader on tech innovation, digital health, fintech and blockchain for social impact. And in this episode, we're going to explore healthcare and blockchain, Web3, metaverse, gamification, monetization, and lots, lots more. Now, if you have NFI about NFTs and don't know your DAOs from your don'ts, then don't worry. I'm with you on this episode. We're really taking a practical look about what will be a fascinating discussion, whichever way you look at it. Collaboration starts with a conversation, Team Health Tech. Let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Burge, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Dr. Jane Thomason, once a CEO of a multi-million dollar teaching hospital. She's been recognized in Forbes magazine as a leader in blockchain for social impact. Dr. Thomason authored the book Blockchain Technologies for Global Social Change and Applied Ethics in Digital Age. She's on the editorial board of the Global Health Journal Frontiers in Blockchain and Journal of Metaverse. She's got lots of different appointments across healthcare and blockchain and crypto and metaverse and all things in between. Jane, how are you? Hi, I'm really good. Thank you for that fabulous intro. You've touched Mm. on nearly everything. Well, we don't need to talk anymore then. I've done it all. But no, you've uh, done no, it. Th- okay, see you later. <laughs> now, look, it's great to have you on the show on a topic that I've been keen to explore for a while, but been hard-pressed to find somebody to really kind of riff it out with a little bit more to understand things in the perspective of healthcare. But before we really dive into all of that, to give us a bit more context, because I only really scratched the surface in my intro, I'd love to hear from your perspective a bit more about you and your background, please. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, I have a very long history in healthcare, and most of my life, actually, I worked more in public health in emerging economies, but I also ran teaching hospitals. I was director of women's health in Queensland, and I really don't know that I expected much to change in that. But then in 2016, I discovered blockchain. I wasn't particularly technological. And uh, actually, the way I discovered it was that my son had told me to buy Bitcoin in 2010, which I completely ignored to my great regret. Uh, And then he came back in 2016 and he said, Mom, did you buy Bitcoin when I told you to? And I said, no. And he said, well, it's $2,000 now. Now, you listen to me. Bitcoin is built on blockchain and blockchain is going to change everything and you need to know about it. So I thought, oh, okay. So I started reading about it. I was looking at YouTubes. I was trying to understand it. And I was getting very confused, I have to say. It took me months to really get the hang of it because it's counterintuitive to everything about the way we've been taught as we grow up because we grow up in centralised systems, not decentralised systems. Mm. But then one day I was just sitting there thinking about blockchain 
And it came into my mind, I'd worked in Banda Aceh, Indonesia after the Boxing Day tsunami. We went up there to help with the reconstruction of the healthcare system. And so I, you know, I was up there and I saw the devastation and I saw the reality. And I just suddenly had this epiphany about blockchain, which was like this. So 200,000 people were washed away and there was utter chaos. No one knew who was lost at sea. No one knew who the people were who were being gathered on high ground and in the camps. All the identities were lost. All the land records were lost. All the health records were lost. And then people wanted to send money to those who'd been impacted by the tsunami. In those days, you couldn't send money, but you could easily send a cryptocurrency, for example. I just suddenly had this moment of enlightenment. It makes me sound like a religious zealot. But if if actually everyone had their uh, you know biometric ID hashed up onto a blockchain, they could have been immediately reconnected with their ID, their health records, their bank records, their land records, and you could have sent money to people who were you know in trouble. And it was really that moment that I went, okay, now I get it. I get why this matters and I really need to learn about it and be part of making it possible. And actually, I went to London in 2017, January, to the London Blockchain Week, and we sponsored the hackathon on financial inclusion in Papua New Guinea, and where I had a weekend listening to all of these crazy, brilliant developers talking about how this technology could solve this problem of financial inclusion in a country that's got 85% with no bank accounts. So anyway, I probably I sound a bit excited. I was very excited. And so I thought I have to speak about this and I have to write about this because I need people to know what this technology is going to do. And I wrote my first paper ever on blockchain and women's and children's health, actually. So that's kind of my story. And then I um, continued. I gave up my job as CEO of a company because it was a distraction from all of this uh, that I was learning and doing with blockchain. And I put myself out there into the universe of blockchain. And my goodness me, now I'm in the metaverse. (laughs) There you go. Wow. That's such a great background. And, you know, you mentioned you've done a lot of research to get to this point to try and get your head around it. And I don't think in this episode we'll have a bunch of blockchain experts by the end of it, but hopefully a little bit more because for us in healthcare, you know, we still use a lot of fax machines and beepers, as you know. So in essence, particularly from a healthcare perspective, you touched on it a little bit in terms of everyone's biometric information was hashed onto the blockchain. It'd be, you know, a lot of problems solved. But for those that can't plug that gap, explain a little bit more in terms of why it's particularly important in healthcare. What I'm going to just talk about a little bit is, you know, the difference between Web 2 and Web 3, because that's an important piece of information, because when Web 2 came around, it allowed us to exchange information in an immediate way digitally. What Web 3 does, which is probably the most important thing, is allows us to exchange value. And that was never possible before. Web 2 is like the internet as we're using it now. Is that what you mean? Yes, that's right. That's right. And what blockchain is, is essentially a database, but it's a pretty kind of fancy database in that it has no central system. There's no central servers. So the same set of information is saved and stored on nodes all around the world. And depending on the blockchain, because there are many different blockchain protocols, the best known one is Bitcoin, but there are many others. Ethereum people may have heard of Avalanche Polygon, there's many of them, and they all operate on a decentralized system of nodes. 
And the nodes are the ones who give the assurance that blocks are appropriate to be added to the chain. So it's a chain of blocks, literally. And the nodes use varying methods of cryptology and consensus mechanisms. So they all agree that this data should, in fact, go up onto the chain. Some of the features of it that are important is, first of all, everyone's got to agree that that data goes onto the chain, therefore it's a verified block. The second one is when it goes up onto the chain, it's timestamped, so you can't cheat or trick the time that the block went up onto the chain. And once a block's on the chain, it can't be tampered with. So, I mean, say, for example, I'll use the clinical trials as an example where, you know, I really see significant potential for blockchain because one of the biggest issues around clinical trials is the fidelity of the process that patient consent is obtained before you do anything to the patient, for example. If the whole chain of events is essentially written up and I haven't spoken about smart contracts, so I'm probably going to start confusing people. So there's something called a smart contract function that can be used with blockchain. And it's essentially an if this then function. So what it means is you can't go and do a blood test on a patient if you haven't got the patient consent. So the patient consent is taken, it's then verified and put up onto the blockchain and then you can proceed with whatever the next step is. But you can't proceed without doing that. So people can't fudge steps in clinical trials and you can't trick on the timestamp. You can't go, actually, you know, I did that lab test you know, Monday at midnight when, in fact, you did the lab test Wednesday at three. So it's things like that. It's really going to help with the fidelity of uh, clinical trials is an example that I like to use. It also allows for secure data exchange. And this was something that we saw a lot happening during the pandemic. And in fact, you know, I think the pandemic's been one of the greatest accelerants for technology in general and blockchain in healthcare that ever there could have been. Because if you'd have asked me before the pandemic, if I thought health was a a really right market for the implementation of blockchain, I would have said, no, go find another sector because it's old fashioned. It's just crushed by legacy systems. You know, there's a lot of players who really, you know, they have everything vested in keeping things the way they are. Your data is everywhere. So the hospitals have your data, the doctors, the radiologists, the health insurance, everyone's got your data except you and it's never in one place. And they're really hard things to be able to address. But what we saw during the pandemic was the need for secure health data sharing was so severe that a lot of innovation was seen in blockchain. You remember those maps with those blood red circles that were being done by Johns Hopkins? That All that data was underpinned by a blockchain. I don't know if you know that. And then there there was a whole lot of other blockchain platforms that essentially opened up all of their research data so that people could access in a secure way medical research data. So we saw you know, right across healthcare, including in things like accounts processing, the implementation of blockchain in a much bigger way than you might have thought was going to happen. So kind of good and bad with that. You're probably going to ask me a question about this, but the other big potential in healthcare is around the monetization of data. Because I spoke to you about, you know, that data is everywhere and it's not in one place. And that's a problem for the patient as much as anything. But all of this data currently is used very little, you know, from a monetization sense. So people are sitting on huge data sets. 
that would be very useful for scientific discovery, but they're not available in a way that it's possible to use them for scientific discovery in a broader way. Mm. I want to dive into that a little bit more because, you know, when many think of blockchain, much more prevalent in the financial sector, surrounding things like you say with Bitcoin and different cryptocurrencies and around the monetization and the opportunities that present there, monetizing healthcare data from a patient's concern for a lot of people that raises alarm bells and they think, well, what about the security? Is this right? Or like, you know, that's not something we typically, we don't think of patient data and monetization in an overly good way, if you know what I mean. Are there some concerns around that that you see? Well, obviously data privacy and data security are important concerns, but blockchain actually takes care of them in a far better way than other technologies and these centralized databases that we have all the data in. But let me kind of talk about it in two different ways. So let me talk from the patient point of view. So what people are working on at the moment in relation to health data is your ability to have something called self-sovereign identity, which will allow you to hold and control all of your health data. You know, I think about my life. I've lived in multiple countries. I've moved from town to town. I'm sure I've got 200 health records, if not more, all around the place, and no one can access them all in one place. And so it means, you know, if here I am in Dubai, I go to the doctors here, they know nothing of my medical history, and there's nothing that I can do to give them my medical history. That simple possibility of patients being able to hold all of their lifelong data in one place and then determine who sees it. And I think that that's the other thing. At the moment, you know, patients are really powerless about their medical information. It's very paternalistic. Even me, I've been in hospital and I wait till the nurse goes out and I scurry around to the end of the bed and try and read my chart to see if I can see what they're writing in it. Mm -hmm. So this totally flips that around, which allows patients to to have store, hold and permission people to access their health data. Like this is something I think about a bit when it comes to how a general public will accept technology and use that example, like you say, where, you know, you as the patient are the custodian of your information. And I think about myself with, say, other things that I consume, like music or Netflix or whatever. It's you have your login you're not physically holding it though. So like, cause if I was holding my Spotify playlist, I would lose it like within two weeks because of leave it in a drawer somewhere or whatever, or I'd forget the password and it's gone forever. And then that's kind of like, I would much prefer it for it to be in a centralized place. And so I think, well, why would I want, you know, there was this big shift for a couple of years of everyone trying to centralize everything. So it was more convenient and in one place and you can log in, it's in the cloud. And that's been the big push. And then in a kind of more blockchain, it's almost like we're pulling it back apart and decentralizing it. And then it almost feels like we're taking a step back. But I guess it depends on how you look at the healthcare data because our financial information, our money, you have access to that wherever you go, you lose access to it. You don't have your money anymore because you value it and it's high kind of value there. So sometimes there'll be a lot of people, I feel like sometimes in the public that would see their healthcare information like their financial information and like they would really treasure it and secure it and want to access it and see how they're going. There'll be a big population as well that really don't, care and it's a means to an end and want to make sure they can go to work on Monday and that's all. And they're not actually too interested in watching what they do. So they might not find that that's the right fit. Do you think that it'll suit everybody at some point? No, no, I don't. And I completely agree. And it's the same thing about, you know, holding Bitcoin on your mobile phone or trading cryptocurrencies. If you don't want to have all of these 
private keys and remember passwords. This is not for you. However, I think the concept, and we're early days yet, I'm not going to send you out and say, woohoo, go get yourself sovereign health ID today. That's not ready. But the concept that you can continuously accrue all of your health data in one place that you can control it and that you can link with it and you can decide who access it, I think is very powerful. I mean, exactly how that happens. And, you know, there's going to be issues about custody, like where you want to store it and how you're going to get access to it. And, you know, we don't have a universal ID, you know, what ID that you're going to use to do it. I think these are still questions. So, so let's set that aside. And then, because I agree with you, I think not necessarily everyone wants to, or, you know, has the mind to be able to think about all of their health data. But at the moment, I think we can agree that what we have is entirely unsatisfactory for good medical care because your data is everywhere, you can't access it. And so therefore, we're constantly receiving substandard medical care because no one knows all of our history. So the other side of the data and the data monetization, both from an individual's point of view, but also from an industry point of view, is if you're able to take all of these idle data sets, so for example, you know, radiologists would have millions of radiology films mm. and dermatologists and all of these specialists, and they're just sitting there on a server somewhere and no one's able to use them for, you know, scientific discovery and drug development and different things that people need data sets for. So if you can find a, a way to securely, in a de-identified way, transfer that data into a health data marketplace and make it available for people who want to buy data, then this is going to give, if you like, passive income to the owners of the data, whether they're doctors or whether they're individuals who are happy to have their data set sitting there in a data marketplace for others to use. And this is going to be particularly relevant from the point of view of uh, genetic data, because now that we're able to kind of unravel the human genome a lot better, that data is highly in demand for, you know, for medical research and so forth. So this creates a way that it's possible to do that. I wrote a paper, you know, maybe three or four months ago about health data marketplaces. We're starting to see these develop up because people need the technology to both be able to safely and securely store the data, receive it from other people, and then create a marketplace where they can monetize it. But I think definitely healthcare data is extremely valuable. And we've seen that with the prices that have been paid for some big data sets. And if technology can make it possible to aggregate the data into a marketplace, and you know, you can put your genetic material onto that marketplace. And every time someone uses it, you'll just get a little dividend from your genetic material. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Pretty nifty. I, I used to say that, you know, a lot of people would prefer to have control to sell their data before it gets hacked. So in a way, having the control to be able to monetize in a secure way, I could see that appealing to a lot of people. Focusing on people a bit more and then moving a little bit more to gamification, because often conversations around blockchain tie to conversations about gamification and healthcare. We've talked about gamification a little bit on the podcast in the past. Where do you see the role of gamification in healthcare and the potential that it has there? Look, I think particularly in health and wellness, mm. there's a number of products coming out now where there's one called GenoPets, which is a bit like these games, Axie Infinity and so forth, where you have a pet and you can make that pet 
stronger, better in battles, you can make it grow hair, you can make it have babies, do all of these things. But in this particular game, you can only do that if you're doing physical activity yourself. So your motivation and your ability to grow your pet and improve the value of your pet, because that's the other thing that is really important in gamification these days, is that with the merger of blockchain and gamification, it means that, say in the olden days, when my son used to play World of Warcraft, you know, they battled and they won swords and all sorts of things, but they were worth nothing except in the game. But what's different now is that you can battle and win all of these things and then you can convert them into money in the real world. That's the big difference. So with Genopets, if you put a big effort into your pet and do lots of activities that make you physically fit, you can sell your pet for a lot more than what you acquired your pet for in the first place. So that you have a, you're playing a game, it's fun. You're doing exercise and getting fitter. And then in the end, you can make money out of your successful fitness campaign. Yeah. For real, like I could see that resonating with many people I know where the only thing that would motivate them to improve their own health and fitness would be to improve the value or aesthetics of a virtual pet. And that might be the difference that it drives. And it's, but it's something in the brain. It's something about seeing the progress and doing that there. And if there are causing activities, which then have knock-on effects that are positive in terms of not just that individual, but I guess over a bigger picture, the healthcare system, healthier people and less costs overall, then certainly worth exploring further. I love that. I love that concept. Um, and you know, again, if for people in my generation, no, we didn't grow up playing games and I don't find it particularly attractive to go and play a game. But to the younger generations who are, you know, the future older generations of tomorrow, yeah. they've grown up with this. And so giving them things to do that they find entertaining and they can get value out of and be fitter seems like a really great idea. And gaming's a $200 billion industry as I recall, and growing. Yeah. And uh, with your ability to earn money in games, it's growing even faster. Unreal. Well, let's go a little bit further into this one. I'm loving this conversation. We can't have this conversation without bringing up the metaverse. On the hype scale of zero to 100, uh, particularly when it comes to healthcare, is there much relevance of the metaverse in healthcare? Yeah, absolutely there is. So you're dead right. Like we, Since Mark Zuckerberg got up and said, I'm changing the name of Facebook to Meta and we're going to have this metaverse. It's almost as if you're in tech and you're not in the metaverse, then you're just so old school that you need to really update. And people are talking about metaverses in a very loose way. Yes. And I think that that's what's going on. You know, people have been building something akin to metaverses for a long time, but it's just got very, very trendy. So I think that's where we are now. And, you know, everyone's talking about it, but you know, the things that have really, again, speeded it up have been things like, you know, the DeFi, the gamification and NFT. So it's sort of like during the pandemic, I think everyone just went home and started learning about blockchain and building building new things. All the blockchain developers started building new things and everyone was at home so they couldn't do things maybe physically like they did before. So they started doing things virtually. So in healthcare... I do think it's quite interesting about some of the possibilities. So the first one is around global collaboration. So needing to be able to collaborate globally, whether you, you know, you're inventing something new 
or whether you're, you know, you're doing some drugs or vaccines or something like that really requires people to come together in one place to be able to discuss, to be able to share their materials. And we used to do that. WHO would hold big meetings and everyone would go to Geneva for a, a week and sit down and have that kind of collaboration. And that's super expensive and obviously wasn't even possible during the pandemic. But what now people have developed and it's possible is that we can all come together in a virtual room. We can have very realistic avatars. I know some of the avatars look like cartoon characters and frogs, but people are making virtual avatars. So it can look exactly like me and you can look exactly like you. And we can come into this room and we can have whiteboards and projectors. We can even have, maybe we're building a hospital, we can have a digital twin of the hospital. So that means a complete digital recreation of the hospital. And we can look at all the patient flows and we can look at the flows between, you know, the operating theatre and radiology and pathology and so forth. And we can have, you know, 50 people from around the world all looking at, different decisions you might make building this hospital or in developing this drug discovery. So that's much cheaper. You don't need to fly planes and create big carbon footprints. You don't need to buy expensive real estate and you can have at your fingertips essentially everything that you can have in a physical place. So I think that's the first one, enabling global scientific collaboration. Mm. The second one, absolutely, and, and in healthcare people have been experimenting with it for some time is around education you know because it it allows you literally to get into the heart and walk around all the ventricles and poke and prod at everything it allows surgical students to actually perform an operation without putting the patient at risk and you know make the mistakes that they might make you know with no risk to human life so i think those are important but it's also going to allow surgeons to have actual kind of virtual images of MRIs and things while they're operating on patients. So it's going to allow for precision medicine in a much better way than was possible before. We spoke about, you know, wellness with the gamification of wellness and some of those things. And, you know, the metaverse is just the addition of you kind of go into a virtual world and you're doing your exercise. there. Mm, (laughs) And then, you know, I obviously... The incentivization and monetization of things that we want people to do to promote health and wellness. Because if we've learned nothing, we've learned that simply telling people that eating too many chips is bad for you or drinking too much alcohol is bad for you, that's not enough to incentivize people not to do it. And I don't know that allowing people to monetize healthy activities is sufficient, but it certainly offers us some opportunity that we haven't had before. Well, you think about it all coming together, you know, like we've featured plenty of really good examples of the application of virtual reality in healthcare on the show in the past, long before Facebook was meta. We've talked about the application of blockchain a little bit, but in the really early days, and it just felt like the wrong time to have those conversations gamification, some really good tangible, you know, outcomes that can be talked about there. AI, obviously, augmented reality as well as virtual reality. And then I think is also bringing in this extra element of when you talk about decentralized finance and decentralizing information generally, when you think about all the issues of interoperability we've had, as well as on a consumer side, like elements of 
whether it's distrust of, you know, centralized things holding information, but also the challenges that younger generations have in getting the, you know, deposit for a house or having the ability to generate income. All of these things kind of come together. And that's where I kind of, you know, think that that whole metaverse thing coming together, you can see why a lot of people are talking about it and it has a lot of interest. And I think where it turns a lot of people off is when the same kind of thing that happens anywhere is when we're just talking about like technologies as opposed to the problems that it will solve. But you've brought some really good examples about, you know, how it can be applied in the real world as opposed to just being a lot of like, hey, this is really cool. I wonder where we could plug it into healthcare and I wonder what it might solve. So I think that that often puts people off too. I just wanted to add a a couple of other thoughts because just while we're on the metaverse, it's going to make potentially public administration so much better. So the city of Seoul in Korea has announced that it's going to put its entire public administration into the metaverse. I'm in the Middle East. Saudi Arabia is building this entirely new city and they're building an entire metaverse for the operation and administration of the city. So it's being used in ways that should improve the way that citizens interact with government. And particularly if you've got a a single ID and then you can access all your government services, whether they're in healthcare or elsewhere, it potentially is going to make the consumer experience better and you don't have to leave your home. So you don't have to drive down to the unemployment agency or whichever government agency you're dealing with. You can do that, and it sort of feels like a real way, dealing with avatars who feel like real people, but you don't actually have the inconvenience of going there. But then the other point that I want to make, which is really important, and this is not so much metaverse, this is just thinking about blockchain and transaction efficiency, healthcare is a massive business organisation that requires huge amounts of administration and it's enormously expensive. And so if you can find ways to automate invoice payments, for example, which is possible with blockchains, or even um, they did an experiment in the US with the assessment of major government procurement contracts using blockchain and AI, because, you know, hospitals, you're talking about billion dollar buildings, and they cut down the procurement assessment from 100 days to 10 days. So if you think about applying that kind of efficiency, because healthcare is not just about people being sick, it's about the entire organisation and bureaucracy that goes around them. So it ultimately could lead to much increased efficiency in many aspects of healthcare organisation. So much potential. Closing out the conversation, we could talk for a lot longer, but just to try and summarise, if there are some things that really excite you about what might be around the corner when it comes to healthcare and blockchain, but also then the future generally of this space. What are you really looking forward to? And I'll also ask you then if anyone wants more information about this space or keen to explore a little bit further, what could they do? So it's a double pronged one, but over to you. Well, I'm fairly active on LinkedIn. So anyone's welcome to send me a message on LinkedIn if they, you know, want to talk with me. I mean, technology is moving so fast it's almost impossible to keep up with it. So I think that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, I was back in Australia for nearly two years during the pandemic, and I have to be really blunt and say most people live under a stone. They have no idea what's actually going on now in real life and real time around them and what possibilities are. And I think healthcare in particular and hospitals 
are very, very old-fashioned traditional organisations and people tend to stay in them for life. So there's really huge comfort factors about the way things operate. And, you know, what I would say to people is take a lesson from the pandemic. See how quickly we pivoted in so many ways with healthcare to make it possible to continue to provide service and manage the pandemic and do the vaccinations and the tests and so forth. Just don't forget that when the pandemic's finished. Understand that there's technology available that can really improve the way that service is delivered to people and people receive it, get far greater precision in the medicine that's being offered and offer much more to people outside of physical institutions. So open your minds and use the pandemic as that catalyst for opening your minds to what the future is and look at all these different incredible technologies that are taking place, whether it's AI, IoT, blockchain, the whole gamut. And don't write off the metaverse because your 14-year-old kid's talking about it. Go and talk to your 14-year-old kid and find out what's in their head because they can teach you a thing or two. Love that so much, Jane. Like I'm going to put the details for you and the things you do in the show notes of this episode so people can check that out. We'll have to have you on for something, whether it's another podcast episode or one of our summits that we do with our community as well. I really appreciate you making the time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the show. Check out talkinghealthtech.com to connect with other people in our community and to learn more about the Australian health tech industry. Also, make sure you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it. Now go make it happen.